So, how do you say this then, love? Well, I've always said it as Hecuva. Could be Hercuva. Hucuva. 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 Hukuva. Hukuva Matata. Anyway, this episode, whatever you call it, we're going to be looking at that rag-draped undead creature that from this moment on we're going to be calling the Hecuva. That's just how we pronounce it. Pronounce it however you want in your game. And if you don't like it, Hecuva. Okay, so as we said, as per the result of a poll, we're going to be looking at the Hecuva which appeared first in the Fiend Folio, which is the book we're working through at the moment. So, Love, what does the Fiend Folio tell us about him? Well, it's got a quarter of the A4 page, and about a third of that is taken up by the stat block and the picture. Yeah, I can see here, there only appears to be like a few sentences of actual like, write-up about mm-hmm. it. But there is actually quite a lot of promising monster in there, so I can see like how it's grown from this. Okay. So it's an undead spirit, looks like a skeleton in robes. Mm-hmm. It's treated as a white, as far as cleric undead magic goes. Also like turning and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's resistant to mind-influencing spells. It can polymorph self three times a day. And then it has this ability where its touch inflicts damage and gives you a saving throw against poison or you get a gribbly disease. That's it. That's everything. Okay. So, the Hecuvel would also appear in the second ad AD&D Monster Manual. So, I'm going to talk a little bit about that. We get a nice picture here mm-hmm. of a sort of undead with its hands held out, menacingly, very skeletal looking, wearing almost sort of like monkish, and I mean like the traditional friar-style monk rather than the sort of fists of flying fury D&D monk in these sort of like ragged robes. It's described as an undead spirit, similar in appearance to a skeleton, but more dangerous and difficult to dispel. Appears to be a humanoid skeleton of normal size. The bones are covered by a robe that is little more than tattered rags. It attacks by swiping victims with its hands. It's described as having sharp finger bones that can tear into wood. As you were saying earlier, if a victim's struck, they have to make a successful saving throw versus poison, or they get a disease. The disease causes the victim to suffer the daily loss of one point each of strength and con, so that's quite nasty. A cure disease spell must be cast on them to prevent death and restore the lost points. As per previously, Hecuvera are treated as whites on the turning undead table. They're resistant to all mind-influencing spells. Their bones crumble once they're destroyed. That's a nice detail. Yeah. It says here they've got a special hatred of priests, once a priest uses a spell or tries to turn them, they concentrate all their attacks on that priest, even ignoring other dangers. They've still got the polymorph power three times a day. It gives you a little bit extra here, you know, sort of filling in those details, saying they often use this power to assume an unthreatening form to get closer to their prey. It says they may assume the form of people they've met in the recent past, such as a victim or a member of the party. If they're in their lair, they may assume their previous non-undead appearance. In the Habitat Society section of the Aiding the Second Ed Monster Manual, it describes them as roaming the dark places of the world, being found in subterranean realms, as well as most temperate or tropical regions. 
cold seems to prevent their activity for they're not found in high desolate mountains or cold regions which is a bit weird given that they're undead you wouldn't think cold would bother them unduly according to the section it says that legends tell that they are restless spirits of monastic priests who were less than faithful to their holy vows in punishment for their heresies they are forced to roam the dark becoming perverted mockeries of their old selves the tatters they wear are the unrecognizable remains of their monk robes they retain dim memories of their old life decorating their lairs as grotesque mockeries of their previous sort of monastic devotions treasures may be scattered around a mock altar stuff like that some hecuva are nomadic and constantly wander on a pilgrimage to nowhere even these being mockeries of real pilgrimages the ecology section is quite small not surprisingly it's undead it says they're malignant spirits that seek to destroy those who still live they're used as examples to remind priests of the fate that befalls those who stray from their devotion or use their religion to mask unpious deeds their powdered bones can be used in the preparation of magical items intended to corrupt the spirits of living beings or to control the undead looking at their stats quickly they've they've got quite a high armor class so three in the ADD second ed monster manual which obviously it being thaco so zero is the highest you can go three is pretty respectable especially considering it's only a two hit dice monster they do one to six hit points of damage for their attack obviously you get the disease on top of that and they can only be hit by silver or plus one magical weapons so unless you've got some magic or some silver knocking around you're not really going to be doing much damage to them yeah and i didn't actually detail any of the stat block when i was looking at the first ed but it's all exactly the same as that yeah that doesn't surprise me a lot now as we were sort of looking through the books i couldn't actually find any mention of this creature in the sort of official wizards of the coast third edition 3.5 edition however we have been able to locate them in the sword and sorcery tome of horrors produced by necromancer games so love can you tell us a bit about how they've represented it in there so uh again the stats are very similar equivalents so the ac is 17 now because obviously it's not thaco it's uh ascending armor class yeah, yeah. um ba -ba -ba. don't see the only struck by weapons of silver thing okay they still give you a disease if they hit you uh they still have three times a day shape-changing spell only now it's called change self instead of polymorph self okay uh they're still the undead spirits of good clerics who were unfaithful to their god and turned to the path of evil before death uh doesn't mention anything about them being like pilgrims when they're in groups or anything uh <laughs> And then it's got a copyright notice saying that they've been taken from the theme folio. I was going to point out, so one of the things I do like about this version is I quite like the artwork. It's a little bit more on the sort of cartoony side of life, but it still looks very striking to me. Yeah, there's something very... Um, the early Adams Family comics. Yeah, yeah. It looks like he could be at one of the Adams Family parties. 
and yeah. fit right in. And it's quite nice. It's not too overly complex. I feel like some of the later arts become, and even the Fiend Folio sort of artwork is a little bit cluttered because obviously had to cram it into a small space. Mm-hmm. Whereas this, it's a nice, simple illustration: long, flowing, tattered robes, skeletal, clawed hands coming out of it, and that sort of skull sat on the top, missing its lower jawbone, which I think's got the whole classic like skeletal depiction, like down pat. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Has he turned up since 3rd edition? Well... Well, Since D20 edition? Well, I did have a look through my collection of 4th edition stuff, see if I could find anything. Also, my 5th edition stuff, and I couldn't find anything at all. However, since uh, Joe Richter from the Hindsightless podcast had mentioned some of these creatures being in Pathfinder, Mm -hmm. I decided to have a quick look through the sort of Pathfinder books, see if I could find anything there. And in the Bestiary 3 for Pathfinder 1st Edition, the Hecula is mentioned. And it, one of the things I quite like in the Pathfinder books is they have these like one or two sentences that are like capsule descriptions under the name. Mm-hmm. So here, before we find out anything else, it describes it as... Rotting vestments hang across the withered flesh of this walking corpse, and its mouth hangs open in a silent scream. Which... All right, it might be a bit OTT with a like World of Darkness style vibe going on there, but it just sort of sets the mood up for what sort of creature you're going to be looking at, and I really like that. And the the image is quite striking. They're obviously playing up the whole sort of like clerical sort of vestment style thing with the the robes it's wearing. I mean, you've got this withered sort of more sort of zombieish like face. It's holding a staff, and it's got the obligatory like glowing eyes of the undead. So. If we have a look at the description, it describes them as the risen corpses of heretical clerics who blasphemed and renounced their deities before meeting death. So pretty similar to the previous. Although easily mistaken for zombies or even skeletons, they have a spark of intelligence that makes them cunning and deceptive foes. Now, although their intelligence wasn't specifically mentioned in the earlier books that we looked at, they're capable of changing form, pretending to mm-hmm. be people, so they've got to at least have some intelligence, otherwise they wouldn't be doing that. It gives it a little bit extra here, saying during the daylight hours, a Hecuba becomes shrouded in an illusion that causes it to appear as it did in life. So it can't change its shape to anyone here, it just looks like it did when it was alive during the day. There's something that I noted in the second Ed one, I don't know if we mentioned, was that if you had infravision you could see through that illusion. That would make sense, because obviously infravision being based on like heat, it, it doesn't have body heat, so that's a, a nice little nugget of information there. Um, we've, like I say, here it tries to use its previous appearance to infiltrate societies. When night falls, it emerges in like its undead glory mm-hmm. to go and seek out its prey. Fortunately for the living, it says they have only fragments of intellect remaining, so it's normally not long before they're sort of outed as what they actually are. Most Hecuba remember little of their former lives except for the blasphemies that led them to their cursed fate. They often find themselves drawn to the ruins of old temples, where they rage against or seek hopeless absolution from the deities who afflicted them. They sometimes work in concert with other undead creatures that share the same area. While most Hecuba arise when a god rejects a heretic priest's soul, forcing the slain to rise as an undead, they can also be created with a create undead. The caster must be at least 11th level, and the body to transform must have been an evil cleric in life. The spell can be used to create a Hecuba using the body of a non-evil cleric, but doing so requires you to make like a test. So, fairly similar there. I mean, if we look at the stats, 
it's got a fairly respectable AC again. It's got like three hit dice, attacks with its claws, does a little bit less damage in Pathfinder, but it's got various feats and weapon focuses that sort of even that out. It's got a bonus to perception and a bonus to stealth skill checks, presumably the stealth because it can disguise itself, speaks common. Its special qualities are that false humanity that we're talking about, where during the day it's cloaked in an illusion that makes it look, sound and feel, even apparently, like a living creature. The effect functions similarly to disguise self. If someone interacts directly with them, they can make a will save to see through the illusion, and they always leave a faint sort of stench of the grave around them. Creatures with the scent ability, so like animals and whatever, easily perceive like it's not right and they can see through the illusion. At night, regardless of whether it knows night has fallen, the illusion just fades away, so it doesn't have a choice about it. It doesn't control it. So, looking at these, yeah. some, there's a couple of things that they're very much putting me in mind of. Okay. The first being um, the zombie thing of being like freaked out by um, somebody with dementia or somebody with a... Um, physical deformity the way that makes people a bit freaked out and the way that like doing that as a zombie actor which I did for a while at a theme park you push on those sorts of fears Um, particularly the whole thing of them like losing their intelligence being very much playing on people's fear of dementia well I was going to say as well I I think Obviously, they exist partially as like a cautionary tale to like mm-hmm. player character clerics and paladins and whatnot. Because let's face it, we've always got like people who are like, yeah, I want to play a cleric or yeah, I want to play a paladin. And then they get at some like really dodgy while they're doing it. So this is like a cautionary, like, oh, be careful there, but for the grace of the gods. Well, that was the other thing I was going to mention. I can't remember what originally the myth's from, but I'm sure there's a version of it in that Jack of Fables series of a character who tricks the devil into saying he can never he will never go into hell. Yeah. But, he but it isn't good enough to earn his way into heaven, so he's always stuck in between. It's a very similar sort of an idea. Well yeah, like I said, I was saying the term it could be used as a cautionary tale, but I think as you were saying it also offers a sort of like a chilling look at how people can end up. Because as you say this creature only has fragments of its intellect and it spends like the daylight hours trying to sort of mingle in with society and look like, like it once was but it can never quite manage it because animals always recognize it the stench of the graves always about it and then when in the evening comes it becomes this undead creature again it almost sort of has to give in to its base and nature because you'd assume from reading this that although it could attack people during the day with the illusion up that it doesn't, because otherwise, you know, how would you mingle into a society? So it almost feels to me as though the creature sort of subconsciously wants to try and get back the life it had, or wants to try and reclaim it, but almost though it's, like, consumed by this sort of feeling of, like, self-loathing, because it obviously mm-hmm. hates being undead, so, like, when it's daytime, it's like, oh, I can get back my life, and I can mm-hmm. get back into society. Then when night falls again, and beyond its control, certainly in the Pathfinder version it realises, oh no, I'm this horrible monster, and worst of all, there's no one else to blame, I'm the one who did this with my blasphemies and whatever, 
it then just sort of lashes out because of this hatred. Uh, similarly, second ed ones, rather than it being quite as intelligent as that, it's got that sort of Dawn of the Dead vibe of it acting mm. out something that was very important to it in life with them doing the like weird parodies of uh, pilgrimages and building these blasphemous altars and things. It, it's like the zombies go around them all. I like interesting zombies. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, actually, since you mentioned that, uh, I think as well it also ties in quite well with the Death Knight that we discussed previously. Because mm-hmm. obviously the Death Knights are sort of these these paladins, these holy warriors who rose to great heights of heroism, then mm-hmm. fell and became like the opposite, the inverse of what they were. And Hecuba sort of strike me as like a sort of a lesser version of that. So like obviously they're not the big bads like you know like a death knight who's like summoning the undead legions and a great sort of like was once a hero now it's like an out and out villain like the opposite of what it used to be. The Hecuba aren't quite to that extreme, but they're built very much along the same line. You know someone who was once righteous, they once had a purpose, a holy purpose in the case of the Hecuba, which they spurned and through their actions they've now become this undead abomination. So rather like the Death Knight, it's it's another sort of cautionary tale, as we said earlier, where you know, like your sort your sins will find you out, that sort of vibe. Does sort of now you've said that make me wonder how good it'd be as like a player group to have a Hecuba instead of a cleric, Death Knight instead of a priest, Necromancer instead of a wizard. There's gotta be some kind of an undead bard. It'd be that's what it'd be like. And yes, there is an undead bard. It could make for a fun one-off episode as you want oh, to yeah, try yeah. and seek your redemption and find a hero strong enough to put you all to your uh, end. Oh yeah, for a one-shot, I think it could work. And there, there was a there was a whole sort of campaign book for third edition, which was about like playing ghosts and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But they had to rewrite a lot of it and sort of work the background for uh, very specific circumstances. Well, you know how I feel about the dark, miserable, long campaigns, but it does strike me that that setup could make for a very fun one-shot. Oh, one yeah, shot. for a one-shot, I think it'd be great, yeah. But, like say, for anything longer, I think it'd be like, utterly bleak and depressing. And whilst, don't get me wrong, I love my World of Darkness games and my sort of angsty, like, sort of horror games... It's not really, for me personally, it's not really what I go for when I, I want to play D&D or something, you know. Mm-hmm. If I wanted to play like a dark, depressing horror where I'm the monster, I think there's games that do that mm-hmm. better than D&D. Don't, don't shoot me D&D, people. Another good way to use it might be as a sort of a grey area NPC. If he's like not really doing anything, but I suppose it depends on how intelligent your interpretation of him is. If he's not really doing anything that's hurting the player group at the moment, mm. he could be a very good source of information because he's been around for so long. One of the things that um, strikes me as interesting is what this creature potentially says about the deities in your campaign world. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't. It says that like you can make one of them out of a body of an evil cleric, but it doesn't have to be the body of an evil cleric. It's just more difficult, and it also doesn't say that the ones that arise naturally are always evil clerics. They're just someone who sort of blasphemed and went against their sort of clerical whatnots. Uh, I think that depends on which book you're looking at, but okay. So well, well, well while you're looking at, what I was going to say is, let's assume that. A good priest blasphemes against his vows. 
No, you write it to say legends say they yeah. come from here. It doesn't say specifically. So let's say in our hypothetical situation, a good priest blasphemes against his vows, commits some horrible acts or whatever, and when he dies, he's raised up as one of these hecuvers. Now, the way it's portrayed in the book so far is that it's like the gods basically sort of cursing them. Oh, you have blasphemed, so now you will rise as one of these hecuvers. Now, if you're originally a good cleric before you fell, presumably it's a good god who's cursing you to become a Hecuba. But if a good deity is cursing you to become a Hecuba, knowing that, oh yeah, I'm going to curse you to become a Hecuba, that'll teach you. What about all the people that the Hecuba's going to kill? What, what did they do wrong? This is not a question to ask someone who doesn't really like organised religion. <laughs> well, no, but, but what I'm saying is, I mean, obviously... It does say a lot about your gods when they allow suffering like that. And, I mean, obviously, you, you don't have to get into this if you don't want to in your D&D game. That's absolutely fine. But much as in mythology, like, like look at that, the classical Greco-Roman mm. mythology... You look, even though the gods are supposed to be like guarding humanity and doing this and other, you look at a lot of the stories and you're like, oh, they're being fucking dead. Yeah. And they do some horrible yep. shit to humans just in the name of their amusement. Mm-hmm. This seems, the Hecuba seems very much to me to suggest that the gods that are causing these creatures to rise might be of the same vein. Because if a god's like, oh, do you know what? It's not important about those, like, 50-plus people that the Hecuba's going to kill when I raise it. It's more important that I punish this cleric for all humanity. Mm. You've got to start asking yourselves... I know gods operate on a different scale, but you've got to start asking yourself, is their morality so entirely alien to, like, their worshippers? Well, their justification of it is that all those people that the Hecuba just killed they put them in heaven and that was where they wanted to be so that's a good thing even though they're smeared across oh, yeah, the and landscape and don't get me wrong I don't, I, don't, I don't deny that the whole like getting to heaven and whatever from your god is like great but it's just that little stop at being like murdered horribly and painfully along the way by like an undead monster that's sort of like it's a bit, <laughs> bit of a sticking point for me because I, 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 I don't know I've never been murdered by an undead creature I would imagine though that it's fairly traumatic and if we know one thing ghosts Zombies, all manner of types of undead, <laughs> a lot of them arise naturally when someone dies a traumatic death. So let's let's say your Hecuba kills 100 people before it's destroyed. Let's say 10% of those have such a traumatic death they come back as a ghost or other type of undead. How many people do those undead go on to kill? <laughs> Do any of them come back as undead? You see, you see what I mean? It just could continue escalating. And that's all because one one like God, rather than just being like, oh, you blasphemed, I'm sending your soul to hell or whatever, is that, oh, you blasphemed, I think the punishment for you is going to be becoming an undead killing machine. Mm-hmm. It, it's, <laughs> and I know, like... As you say, it says a lot about the gods in your campaign world when these sorts of things exist in your campaign world. Yeah, and, and I'm not saying you can't have that or you have to delve it's, into it, because it, it seems it seems quite appropriate. interesting subject matter that you could explore, particularly if you've got someone playing a cleric or a paladin who wants to do those sort of storylines. Yeah, and the fact is, it, it fits very much with sort of a lot of mythological gods who who are quite self-centred and they see they're the ultimate ends justify the means. And that's great. But all I'm saying is that if you're going to have these sort of creatures that are punishments from the gods in your game, it might just be worth considering that. I mean, if you don't want to get into that, it's easy enough to just say the gods aren't directly involved. It's just something that happens. It's their own sort of weight of their own sins that causes it. The gods don't have a direct handle on it. But if they do, it's just worth considering, like... What's going through like your deity's mind when they when they do that? 
how do they justify that do they or as hannah said do they just like go oh well if they're good the victims of the head giver are going to go to heaven anyway so everyone's a winner baby that's the truth mm-hmm. and i think on that bombshell that's going to be the end of our episode on the heck so if you've got anything you'd like to say to us about this creature maybe you'd like to tell us how you pronounce it then you can get in touch with us either by a voicemail on SpeakPipe, there's a link in the description below, or you can send us an email to rddrpgpodcast at gmail.com. Until we see you next time, take care, stay safe, and don't go blaspheming against the gods, or you'll be back as a killing machine. Bye. If they're in their lair, they may assume they're all they're all.